appropriate home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And uh, we have a fantastic interview lined up a little later with Marcy Warhaft. Most notably, we've been keeping an eye out over at a story coming out of Toronto. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, we've been following Toronto Pride, uh, actually, almost as long as the show. No, that's not entirely true. The first couple of years, things were, uh, well, at least superficially, they appeared to be copacetic. And then, I think it was about 2016, some cracks started to show, and now we are discovering that those cracks run deep. Absolutely. So, essentially, um, a Pride Toronto member, mm -hmm. so somebody who's been involved in the organization, at least as a, a member in good standing, mm -hmm. um, has started off essentially looking into, um, if I understand correctly, he wasn't investigating Pride Toronto. He was investigating um, the decriminalization and uh, the myths of decriminalization around 1969. Yes. He managed to do a little bit of uh, uh, digging into sort of, almost by accident, I don't think he went in with that intention, Yeah. Uh, into Pride Toronto. Now, you've read through the document that he put together. And, I've and read what's through your takeaway? half of it. Uh, well, my, my number one takeaway is that he needs a technical writer to organize his documentation, but that's a, a different issue. Um, yeah, it, it's there seems to be a lot of strange... I don't want to call it fraud, but that seems to be what's happening. Uh, misappropriation, as a term, has been thrown around in in most individual issues because it seems to be a, there has been a misappropriation of funds. But then on top of that, there's like layer upon layer of um, sweeping your tracks behind you. So things like uh, there's a whole bunch of letters of endorsement from various official agencies saying, you know, we endorse pride. We know what they've done. We don't mind what they've done. And this member just called them up, called up the, the names on the documents, those people, and said, do you remember signing this document? And they said, we have no idea what you're talking about. And it turns out that there are whole stacks of documentation with names on it that he just ended up not trusting anyone. And any time he sees a name, he calls them up and confirms. Do you remember reading this? Do you remember signing this? Do you remember sitting in on this meeting? Were you in attendance? Like anything at all. And he's finding a huge volume of it are just complete fabrications. So let's let's touch base here on what uh, some of the things that uh, Tom Hooper has, has raised as a concern. First of all, that Pride Toronto raised 1.85 million in federal grants um, almost immediately after making a deal to allow police to participate in the Pride. Mm -hmm. We actually spoke about this at the time. I think it was yeah. about 600,000. Yeah, yeah. And they were they were asked to survey the country uh -huh. on attitudes towards the police. And uh -huh. were like, why is a local Pride? What uh -huh. do they know about people's attitudes in Yellowknife? Like, they're nowhere near... It's a Pride Toronto. They're not in Yellowknife. Well, what do they know about survey design? I, it's, yeah, it was ridiculous <laughs> that Pride Toronto was chosen for this massive grant around um, the police, mm -hmm. uh, which they got almost immediately after, after uh, the U-turn on allowing police to participate. Mm -hmm. uh, he also alleges that they filed several grant support letters on letterhead from the 519, which is one of the biggest uh, LGBT service centres in Toronto, mm -hmm. and the Assembly of First Nations, neither of which yeah. uh, confirmed their authenticity. 
So one exactly of them actually, what you said. Yeah, the, one of the members of the AFN actively denied. They said, you know, there, there is no individual at the decision-making layer who has any knowledge of this. So th- this isn't even an issue of, like, you know, Ted signed that and he was just the only one in the office that day and forgot to tell anyone else. Like, they asked around and they're all like, yeah, there is no institutional memory of this happening. So he also alleges that the Cree artist Kent Monkman was initially involved in the project and withdrew from the project. However, Pride Toronto continued to use his name and concept in creating multiple grants that achieve the same goals. Mm-hmm. So essentially double dipping on the grants is yep. what's being alleged there. Oh, and because he is Indigenous, they filed for additional Indigenous artist support mm-hmm. so that they are without actually having an Indigenous artist on Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He also alleges that Pride Toronto demanded that Indigenous artists sign over the legal ownership of their artwork uh, in order to um, retain them as assets. Now... This is a tricky one because, like, if you do hire a graphic designer to design a logo or something for you, you do end up being the owner of that logo at the end of it. But I don't think this is what we're talking about. I don't think it's a graphic design project. I do think it was... uh, One of them was a musician. So it was basically, um, like, the fine arts. We're not talking about industrial design here. This is something else where the artist does retain the legal right to their Mm -hmm. product unless they are specifically commissioned to do like a jingle or something like a lot of it was just there's no universe where this would pass anyway so i don't know if you remember sebastian that we were talking about the 600 grand grant that they got Mm. and essentially they promised a whole bunch of stuff and at the end of the granting period nothing was done yeah and uh they pride toronto and canadian heritage essentially said they used it to cover other activities. Yeah. Um, what uh, Tom Hooper is alleging, that they were supposed to hire 50, pe- uh, 50 Indigenous teachers as part of a touring exhibit. Mm. Uh, however, they directed the funds to pay down debt, pay operational cost, pay for staff salaries. Any grant, there's going to be usually around 15% to support overhead. Mm. You can't hire somebody to execute an office a project mm-hmm. if you don't have a desk and an office and, yeah, and yeah. electricity. So 15% makes sense, but not the whole thing. I was actually thinking before we started recording, a lot of this sounds very much like the scandals that rock your average university undergraduate mm. student union. About every other year, something like this will happen in a student union. If this level of misappropriation happened, then either somebody was sleeping on the job or somebody was... Uh, well, not in on it, but, you know, somebody didn't care or they turned a blind eye or something. Like, there, there's, there, it looks really shady. And at this point in time, this very early point, um, I mean, for all we know, there's something completely legitimate going on. I don't know what that would be from looking at what we're seeing at this point, yeah. if that makes sense. So, I mean, he does go into some detail about the Ministry of Finance um, moving money from the Department of Public Safety through into heritage so that uh, pride could access the funding mm-hmm. um so yeah we we've known for a while that the ministry of finance was was backing this i mean it's it's shocking and it's concerning that pride toronto which context is so important oh, yeah. because at the time when the there was a lot of agitation to stop the police participating in Pride, mm. bearing in mind that shortly before that, 
uh, and there's been an independent judge review that found that the Toronto Police Service bungled the case on Bruce MacArthur, mm -hmm. um, allowing this serial killer to kill off gay men mm -hmm. for longer than was uh, necessary. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that context where people are terrified. There's police brutality in Toronto that uh, people were concerned with. And they just didn't want the police involved in Pride. And we had the Black Lives Matter protest that held up the parade. Mm -hmm. So their context at the time was that Pride Toronto was hemorrhaging cash. Oh, yeah. They were, they were massively teetering on the verge of, of bankruptcy. And then this you know, series of huge grants from the government come mm -hmm. in to they save also, the day. They changed their model. Um, they changed this about 2012 uh, before... I think it was 2012. Anyway, they, they changed this long before, where most of the events operate basically at cost. That, like, if it, if it takes five bucks to get a ticket, they charge five bucks. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't really have any loss leaders. They didn't really have any uh, prime events, like, you know, spaghetti dinner for 20 bucks, where it's like, this is a fundraiser. Um, they used to have tons of events like that. If they had them now, then they would have been closed-door private events that were not really announced to the public, but they they did change their model, basically, to have as many events as possible, as accessible as possible to everyone, including financially accessible, which I'm all for. But having one or two events where you're making it clear, by the way, we are overcharging as a fundraiser, mm -hmm. a lot of people would be fine with that. So Pride Toronto has responded to these allegations and uh, I'm going to read their response in full. An important message to the Pride Toronto members, community partners and sponsors. Earlier this week, a Pride Toronto member circulated allegations with respect to three of our 2018 and 2019 grant applications, including the use and reporting of these funds that had negatively impacted the Indigenous community. Under the leadership of our new board and our new executive director, we have devoted the better part of the past year getting to the bottom of these legacy issues mm. and fixing our processes to ensure that the integrity of our work is of the highest caliber. As part of our system-wide review in October 2021, Pride Toronto engaged KPMG to undertake a grant compliance review to investigate and provide us with the recommendations to ensure that our processes going forward meet the highest standards. It is important to note that KPMG's work included meeting with the member referenced above and reviewing all the documents that he provided. We have kept in close contact with our funding partners and will continue to do so as the KPMG review, which is almost complete, is finalized over the next few weeks. We will release KPMG review publicly. When we do so, we won't sugarcoat what went wrong, and unfortunately, hmm. things did go wrong. We will be accountable to our members and our funding partners, and most importantly, we will make this right, especially for the Indigenous and marginalised people and groups that we work with. And that was signed by the president and co-chair, sorry, the two co-chairs of Pride Toronto. And I'm guessing that KPMG was the independent auditing firm. Yeah, they're massive. That's, yeah, they're, they're huge. Um... I don't know if you can call something that happened in 2019 a legacy. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. that's, a, that's a stretch. We joked about this before, but the thing is that if, if you fire and replace every single person, 
Yeah, that's valid. Uh, it, it, even last week would be Legacy if you did that yesterday. Mm. Uh, I don't know if they did fire and replace every single person. They have been... It is a new board. There are allegations yeah. that many of the staff involved doing this are now still working for Pride Toronto. Uh... So it's not a full sweep. Okay. All right, we, we have to jump to our first track. This is Breath of Fresh Air by Broadtree. And after that, we have the interview with Marcy Walker. Well, you came out of nowhere and dragged me down Shackled my ankles to the ground And you impounded all of my hopes and dreams Took the term prison to new extremes Welcome back to Cancrea, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith, and Sebastian is indisposed. Uh, we're just going to leave it on that cliffhanger. He will be joining us uh, just after this interview. I have snagged an interview all to myself with the incredible Marcy Warhaft. Thank you so much for joining me and for reaching out to us uh, to have this conversation. Uh, I'm very excited to have you on the show. I'm very excited to be here and chat with you. Excellent. Now, the reason why I think this is such a timely conversation is last week we were talking, we touched a little bit on Stats Canada. And uh, one of the stats that really jumps out at me is something like the 300,000 
bisexual women and like 12 bisexual men. I mean, I, I don't think it's exactly 12, but it's it's nowhere near bisexual men. And I think it's really interesting that there doesn't seem to be a whole bunch of of range. And we've talked a lot as two gay men, as two white gay men, we talk an awful lot about other gay men. That is, uh, that is, you know, they say stick to what you know. And uh, my knowledge base is pretty limited to just that. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit to that one. But we talk a lot about how some folks, like the mayor of Ottawa, Philip Schofield, and other examples, are men that have lived, you know, happy lives in in married with kids. And then they they come out of, as gay and everyone's like, oh, wow, how did that happen? And I think there's a similarity there with your story. But do you mind sharing our listeners sort of, you know, the, the, the crux, of course, if they want the depth and the details, your, your book is available to kind of expand on that. But what's what's the crux of your story that that relates to what we're talking about? Well, the interesting thing is, I mean, that that is the main question that everybody gets when they come out late in life. And I was 50 when I came out. So it's it's pretty late in life. I mean, most of my life is pretty much <laughs> behind me. Um, so the question that I get most is why, why, why did you wait so long or how did you not know? And what I found is that in talking to a whole bunch of women, once I came out and started talking about it, because I don't do anything small. Like if I, when I came out, I came out and I talked about it. And a lot of women, a lot of women are in my situation, but for different reasons. And that's what's so important is that there are so many different reasons why women take so long to either acknowledge their sexuality or admit their sexuality. So for me personally, it it was a bit confusing because I wasn't somebody who knew I was gay and felt that I couldn't come out. It wasn't mm-hmm. that. Whereas a lot of women have that pressure. They just, they, they can't. Family stuff, religious stuff, society. It wasn't that. It, it, for me, I really thought I was straight. And then, I mean, I questioned a little bit here and there back in the 80s, but not enough to actually think about it because it wasn't really as big a deal. Like, it wasn't Nobody talked about it as much, mm. you know? I think Maybe everyone one questioned different... a little in the 80s. I mean, Maybe. <laughs> I, was, I think that was very of the time in the 80s. That's so true. That's so true. Um, and then it really wasn't until I was married and I had kids. And for me personally, my life at this point was in turmoil. I had had a lot of trauma. My, my marriage was in turmoil. My life was in turmoil. And it was a very interesting time. And at, and at this point of my life also, my ex-husband and I decided to open up our marriage sexually for a lot of reasons. And still at that point, I just, there, it, it wasn't like, okay, I want to be with a woman. And then I bumped into a woman that I hadn't seen for a very long time. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, wait, hold on a second. What am I, what am I feeling? And it really, it really took me by surprise in a really big way. And long story short, she and I developed a really close friendship that ended up as being a, an intimate relationship for several months. And it was very surprising to me. It was very unexpected to me. But I think the thing that surprised me the most was I remember the first time we kissed. And I remember thinking the weirdest thing about this is that it doesn't feel weird. 
that was the, like, I thought I should be a little freaked out by this. This should be really weird. And it wasn't. It was the most amazing, natural. It just felt right. And my whole situation with her felt right, except for the fact that I was married with children and apparently straight. And there was, there was uh, a part of me that wanted to investigate what it meant. I mean, obviously we had an expiry date, but we, we had to end it. But there was a part of me that really wanted to discover what this meant for me. But again, mm. I felt that that would be selfish. I felt that that would be very wrong because I had made this commitment to live this traditional life. And so I convinced myself that it was a phase and it was just her and I would get over it. And so that I convinced myself of that for two more decades. Wow. And during that time, did I, did I find myself attracted to women? Did I think about women? Sure. Not all the time. I think that's, that's the thing too, is that when you don't grow up around gay women or um, you're in the suburbs and it's just not around you, I didn't get it. Like I thought I'm not attracted to any of my female friends. I'm a, I can't be gay. I'm mm. only attracted to some women. So, but nobody's attracted to everybody, but I just thought it, it, that I was, I considered myself straight with a twist at that point. Kind of like, mm, yeah, but like, but, but I couldn't do anything about it. Mm. And then even after I left my marriage, I didn't leave my marriage for that. But even after when I left, I still dated men unsuccessfully, but I still, because I still thought at this point now I'm in my late forties and I'm like, well, I've missed the boat. Like if, if there is someone for me, she's probably in a long-term relationship. Um, how am I going to meet people? Do I have a right I think a lot of a lot of women in my situation feel like I don't have a right to call myself gay. I haven't I've I've been with men. Like that's not fair. Mm. How can I do so there's all this uh, there's this fear and there's um so many questions. So I would find myself in kind of relationship after relationship and and I would end every single one. And every time I would end it I would think I'm a horrible person because I don't feel sad at all. Like you know, I would think like I'd leave the relationship and I'd feel relief. And I think how cold, I remember talking to a therapist and going, am I a sociopath? Like, why do I not feel that? And it was just that I realized that it was just, there was something even subconsciously telling me this is not right for you. Mm. And then it was just a few years ago, actually before COVID, interestingly, I was out with one of my sons and his girlfriend and I ended some relationship. And she said to me out of nowhere, not knowing anything about my history, you know, I see you dating women. And I was like, what? I'm sorry, what was that? What? Huh? And she said, I just, that's what I see. And I was like, that's so interesting. And we ended up that night, they came over and I joined a dating app for women. But it didn't last long because again, at that point I was living in the suburbs. It wasn't, it seemed like there were three people around me, maybe, but not really. Um, and again, I still was feeling that I won't be accepted. Um, I don't have the right. How can I change now? What's it going to do with like, it? Just, I d- it didn't seem like a viable option. And then COVID hit. And I'll tell you that it made me slow down. It made me spend a lot of time on my own. I couldn't date, which was great uh, <laughs> at the time. And it, it really, I'd also released my memoir, which was very different because I don't, I talk about my relationship with a woman, but at that, when I wrote it, I wasn't out. And, but I released a lot of shame and guilt from my past and it was very liberating. 
And in doing that, I thought, okay, now I'm free to be me. What, what, what else? What am I holding back? Like, this is it. I've got one life. I'm going to be 50. What, if I can't be fully me now, what the heck am I waiting for? And I realized I want to be with women. And one thing that's very, I really want to clarify is that there are a lot of people who think if you've been with men and then you're with women, that you're with women because it didn't work out with men. And I would have a lot of people say to me, oh yeah, I don't blame you. Men are awful. And they were usually men who would say that to me. So I mean, like, I, I would say that to you. <laughs> but that's, right. right. But the thing is, and it's, and, and I really think it's an important point to make is that you can, you can love women without disliking men. Mm. Being with women isn't the consolation prize when it doesn't work out with men. So my wanting to be with women had, has nothing to do with men, which is tough for a lot of men to understand. And <laughs> it's I, not I about you. I feel like we should make it all about us. I mean, I, I, as, as a man, and it's not about <laughs> wow, me. Wow, that's this such is a very, weird thing for you to... I know. I have, I, have, I have been challenged in a way here. I don't know how to... I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but I think you raised some really fascinating points. And I want to, first of all, kick off with there is um, purity policing in the gay community. For example, we even saw it on the latest season of RuPaul's Drag Race, where a straight man is now competing as a drag queen. And they're talking about, you know, gold star gay and platinum gay. And for those who aren't familiar, a gold star gay is someone who has uh, uh, never tangled with uh, with the opposite sex. And tango is a euphemism here that you can figure <laughs> out. Um, and then platinum is people born by cesarean section. So they've never been within 30 feet of a, of a vagina. <laughs> it's like, um, that is, you know, it's, it's almost, um, you know, lauded as this thing that, you know, oh, wow. But it's so ridiculous. And I think it is based, you know, to certainly a degree in misogyny, the idea of, of the, the oh, no. And you nailed it. You know, women as a conciliatory prize. It's absolutely, I think that those preconceptions and this gay policing that happens in our community is definitely rooted in some misogyny and, and that kind of misvaluing of the genders. Is that something that you've noticed? Well, I, I just find it such an interesting thing that, you know, I have male friends, some, some, I'll be honest, that I haven't heard from or, you know, I mean, you sort of realize, were they my friends or do they realize now there's no shock? Um, but there is this weird thing, and, and it isn't that weird because misogyny has been around forever, but it is this thing where something has to go back when it comes to women, our choices have to in some way be a result of some experience with men. Oh, you must have had terrible experiences with men. No, maybe I've just had amazing experiences with women. <laughs> you maybe know, it, just it, can't it's just yeah, Me, yeah, it's just it's just, you know, men are great. Some of them, you know, I mean, mm. so that's the thing. Women are great. Some of them. I mean, we're just people. Yeah. All genders. It's a thing. It's just, it just has nothing to do. And the same thing where, you know, if, if a, if a guy will, I've had guys hit on me and I'll explain, you know, which is, I, I always think, which way do I go with this? Cause, cause it's never, you think if you say I'm gay, it's like, okay, well, okay, well, good, good luck. And instead it's like, <laughs> well, either it's, either it's, can I watch or, mm. you know, can I maybe it's that whole, like, well, maybe you just, you haven't dated me. And it's like, oh God, I've dated so many people like you, but it's, it's, it's a weird thing and it's it's got to be separated you know who and that's and that was another thing i will tell you this 
coming out later and coming out later during COVID. I mean, basically it, it, it was during quarantine. So I was coming out to myself in my basement. Um, but, <laughs> but I afraid is you walking in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> totally. totally. Um, but, but I, I actually, I was resigned to the fact, I felt like I was making the decision to be single for the rest of my life because mm. I felt that I was probably not going to meet somebody at this phase of my life. But I was okay with that because I'm somebody who would much rather be single than be in the wrong relationship. I'm not afraid of being alone. I'm more afraid of being lonely with somebody mm. than being alone. And so I was much more comfortable with the idea of, okay, I, I'm going to know who I am. I'm going to acknowledge who I am. Even if I'm acknowledging that I'm a lesbian to myself and never date, um, that felt better to me and more honest and authentic to me than letting a fear of loneliness put me, well, okay, I'm never going to meet a woman. It'll be easier to meet a guy. I'll just be in a relationship that's not right so that I don't have to grow old by myself. I, I will never do that. So I, I really think it does come back to whatever's going on. It's, it's really needing to, I needed to, whatever anyone else would, would think, people in my life, people in the community, I had to not worry about what anyone else would think because I'm the only one that's been with me from the beginning and I'm mm. the only one that's going to be with me at the end. So I have to look at myself and know that when I get to the end, that I've lived my life as honestly and fully as I can. And, and that's the only way that I could be really happy. Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting because a lot of the gay rights movement is anchored on the premise of born this way. And there is a, a massive body of silence, uh, science, for example. We interviewed a neuroscience about the different sizes in the hypothalamus and, you know, different hormones during pregnancy and um, loads of studies where, you know, the, the later the boy is birthed in the sequence of siblings, the more likely they are to be gay. And all these things are combined. You know, there is certainly a biological element. But what's really interesting is that there's really good evidence for the evolution of sexuality, that sexuality evolves. There is one, everyone's familiar with the Kinsey scale, one to six and, and where you stand. And it, that's just one straight line with a couple of notches on it. There's one that, which is a, a, a um, you know, a, almost a sphere with seven different dimensions. And the best way to explain this, because I'm not doing a very good job at the moment, is think about what your sexuality would be if you're in a nightclub. And you're in a space that's in a nightclub, you're going to be a bit flirty, you're going to be a bit, you know, a bit sexual in, in how, how you're acting. And now think of being in a big family dinner. Those are different spaces and your sexuality is definitely different in both of those spaces. Mm. And I think that's a good way of understanding that people's sexuality isn't a constant that never changes. It, it adapts constantly to where you are and who you are impacted by your life experiences. I think you're, you're an astonishing example of, of literally that, that how you've, you've evolved into like, you know, the newest, uh, you know, version of yourself. I feel like you've stumbled onto a moonstone or something. It's, it's quite the transformation. I, I love that. And I think it's true because when you say born that way, I agree, I was born this way, but what, what is this way? This is Marcy's way. And it's not like back in the 80s when I was growing up when there was, oh, oh, he's gay or he's straight. And that was it. And then, then 
oh, maybe they're bisexual. And, and now we know that there's so many, so many different evolutions of sexuality. So yeah, I was born this way, but, but this way is not the way I thought it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. And, and I'm going to keep evolving. I think, I think what's, what's common too, especially um, when you're first coming out is you think, especially when you've been with the opposite sex is you assume you're bisexual. And then, and a lot of times you do stay that way. And that wasn't my, that isn't how I identify. It'd be easy for people mm-hmm. to, to think that for me, I'm sure some people do, but, but that was also a process. So we have to give ourselves room to evolve and to change. If we don't, I mean, that would be, to me, that's sad. I mean, some people, I guess you are who you are, who you are in anything in life. I'm talking about any, I'm not the same person I was in any way. 10 years ago. And I don't want to be the same person five years from now. I want to keep growing, but I have to give myself that permission to say, this is who I am right now. And life is going to throw stuff at me and it will alter me a little bit. Who I am at my core will always be who I am, but I'm okay to learn and to change. If you're not learning, then you're not going to change. And so we have to not be so afraid of change with ourselves or with other people. Mm-hmm. I think the pandemic has forced us all into some degree of of uh, introspection and and grappling more with our families and our family lives and uh, and also who we are ourselves. You know what I think is really quite evident in speaking to you, Marcy, is is how your your life up to this point has really. You know, I, I think that the, the steps that you have taken have helped to give you the self-confidence to commit, to to not not nest and wait and, and see what happens next and let another decade pass by or another decade pass by. I think from speaking to you, I think that you've reached the point where you're like, no, I'm going to this new direction. It's a Tuesday. Let's go in a different direction. Am, am, I, am I on the right track here? You're so you're so right. I say that all the time. It's- it's people say that that know me really well will be like you're you're so fearless it's terrifying i'm not fearless but i i am much more afraid of of staying in the same place that isn't right so i do have this this feeling with life where it's like oh we're here now okay this is where we're oh now we're going to go okay i'm not i won't fight it anymore i think mm-hmm. i was unhappy when i felt like I'm being pulled this way, but this is where I'm supposed to be. And you fight it. Whereas now I'm like, oh, you know what? I don't know where that's going, but that was kind of interesting. So I'm going to see where that is. And I don't know where that's going to lead me, but that was kind of cool. And if it's not, I'll survive it. That's, Mm. you know, when you've been through a lot of trauma and you think you survive a lot, you realize you can survive a lot. So for me, I'm not, it's, there's usually that evils, you know, versus the evils you don't know. And people are more afraid of what they don't. With me, I see the evils I don't know as more possibility. Mm. I know where I am, but I have no idea what's out there. It could be scary, but it could be amazing. So why wouldn't I see what's next? And so, yeah, I won't, I won't, I won't waste any more time, not just kind of soaking it in and, and, and living the adventure. I mean, life is hard. We've seen it more than ever in the last couple of years. Life can be really hard. So why not kind of, go on that adventure of like, hmm, let's see where this is going to, or at least not, not hold yourself back from something you, that you really feel could be right for you. I saw a TikTok with this teenager who was going on various adventures, always doing something. And someone's like, why, you know, why are you 
it was a pandemic. Like, first of all, let's <laughs> be a little grounded during a global pandemic. As <laughs> a teenager um, for you. I know. I mean, it's a surprise. Uh, but yeah, it, what was really jumped out was something he said. He said, I didn't want this year to be a sequel on last year, just a, yeah. a rinse and repeat. And that really jumped off the page to me. Yeah, you know, I was like, wow, am I living? Because the last two or three years are a blur. Like, I think for mm-hmm. most people, there is maybe the odd thing that you can pick out that happened, um, some more than others. But that, you know, and I was like, wow, is this just a sequel to 2020? Which is, you know, is this, have I just wasted 24 months of my life achieving next to nothing? And I don't want that to happen. I don't want to have sequel years. I want to be doing things and and committing. And I think the pandemic has hopefully encouraged uh, a lot of us, a lot of the folks listening to be like, We've come out of, you know, the ennui and the milieu of just just bleh that's happened for the last two years. Are we going to let that 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 bleh continue? I'm not planning on it. You know, I don't think no. we should just be twiddling our thumbs in, and waiting to see what happens next. What a waste of life. You know what I mean? And and that's the sense I get from you is, if the option is to sit and waste life, then is yeah. that really the best use of your time? And you know what? It doesn't have to be epic. It, that's what I've learned. It doesn't have, we don't have to come out of this or anything and, and have accomplished anything massive. You don't, it doesn't have to be huge. It's just don't waste time not, I want to say follow a dream, but that sounds even cliche because it doesn't even have to be that big. It's just, it's just don't hold yourself back from something that gives you happiness. I think, mm. you know, it's one thing when you, because you mentioned TikTok. So I'll say it, it's funny because, um, I'm on it, but not crazy on it. And, and, but there are, there are people who will put it down for the fun parts of it. Like when people, people, especially my age, you know, who will post, I post dance videos and lip sync videos all the time. Um, and, and there are people who will criticize, oh, people are so silly to be, fun. and I'm like, but that's the best part of it because it's people who, who would probably never normally ever in front of people sing and dance and, and be silly and here they have this place where they feel safe to do that. Like that's amazing. It's not huge. They're not huge creators. They're not going to be followed by eight million people. But if they can go on and make fun videos, and it's that little bit, it's that of of like this is life. Like life should be lived however I want to live it. And and we have to stop worrying about the judgment from other people. And that's that was really I've never I. I, I've lived like that for a little while, but it really has been the last year and a half to two years where I've re- like, I can, I can honestly say, judge me. I don't, it doesn't, uh, my life has been too big. I've been through too much that if you judge me, that's on you. That's mm-hmm. on you. If my, if what makes me happy makes you uncomfortable, well, maybe that's something you need to look at because it's not my issue and I'm not going to change. I always say, if I get to the end of my life, and I'm worried that I've made someone else uncomfortable. Well, that's a problem because mm-hmm. I'm not here to make people comfortable. You know, you want to be kind, but if being honest with myself and living my life authentically and, and with kindness, but if that makes someone else uncomfortable, again, then that's something that they need to look at. And it's certainly not going to affect or impact how I live my life. One of the things that comes up when we talk about people coming out later in life is and I mean, first of all, when we talk about people coming up when they're younger, and I'll start there, 
is you, especially uh, parents with children who come out, I think this is sort of the best example. You, if a child comes out, as they've grown up, you have a you have a bit of an idea of where things might go. You know, you might be walking them down the aisle. You might be doing this. You might be doing that. You might expect maybe there's grandkids and that that could be where your future lies. And when people come out, it forces parents to stop and think, is that is that possible? Is that different? Is that not going to happen? And when we talk to younger people, we're like, it's. It's not that it's a shock or that it's it's disconcerting. It just takes a minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? Give people a beat to catch up to where things might be now. Because lots mm-hmm. of people daydream about where things might be going, especially if you've lived with them for 16 years or whatever the case may be. And I think it's easy for us to understand the impact of children coming out to parents. But I'm really curious about how that journey existed as a parent coming out to your children. What was that? What was that like? Well, I think, again, everybody's experience is different. I mean, I've heard mm. terrible stories about it really breaking up families. And, um, but, but I've heard of more, more situations, especially now, especially with kids who we're living in a time when, when it is so much more common. So a lot of kids are much more supportive. My kids were older. They're in their 20s. And, and they're amazing. Like, I have to say, my kids, listen, I'm not, I'm, I've tried to be super traditional in some ways when they were little, I was, but <laughs> I mean, I wrote a memoir about my life. And so they're, they're nothing really surprises, surprises them, but they were really good. I have to say, um, I think I'm not going to say that it was, Oh, okay, cool. Like whatever. Like it's, it's, it's a thing you're, you're, they've, like you said, they've seen me, they've known me their entire lives married to their father. Mm-hmm. And then when that ended, um, they'd see me date men or whatever. So this, this is a, t- t- a weird thing, you know, when your mother says she's gay, like, it's like, where that, however, um, they're, they're really open-minded and w- they've let me know from the get-go that, that they have my back. I mean, I, would it be different if they were younger and they were living with me? I, I think, I think that's a different dynamic. I, this doesn't, this doesn't really affect them on a, mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. You know, they're not coming home and meeting girlfriends. And so it's different, but, but they're also, um, they weren't, neither one of them was super shocked, you know, <laughs> at all. And, and what made me, what's funny, a memory I have with them is I've always, I took them to a gay pride parade when they were little and they loved it. And, and um, I've always been, an ally even before I was part of the community and so much so that I remember being at the the gay pride parades and seeing P flag and I remember thinking like I love seeing supportive families like it really touched my heart and I remember I'd say to my kids too much apparently when they were little just so you know ever <laughs> you decide. and it got but it got to the point where I remember one of my sons saying, then they were young saying to me um is it okay if we're not gay is that gonna be okay with you <laughs> Cause you keep saying, and I was like, okay, I've made my point, obviously, clearly that they know. Um, so no, they, neither one of them was, was I think, I think it does. Like you said, it takes a beat. I think mm-hmm. like, for me to expect them not to be, that's like odd. So it takes a, but, but I'm very lucky. And there, there's never been, there's no, I, I, there's nothing negative that I can say. I'm very lucky. My kids are 20 and 23, um, but they're good. They're good kids. So I'm lucky. 
excellent well that's that's really encouraging and and also hilarious that they that, uh, like, can i can i be straight like i mean like seriously all right um if anyone's interested about your your the the story that you had to tell i mean it's almost like spoiler alert and plot twist at the end and it's not quite captured in your memoir i think you wrote that before uh, before the mm-hmm. pandemic but uh, The Good Stripper, a soccer mum's memoirs of lies, loss and lap dances uh, is available on Amazon. Super easy to find. And of course, you know, if you're on Amazon, it arrives two days later and, and you know, joy to the world. Um, and I believe you've got an audio version out as well. Yes. Yes. So you can get that on Amazon, too, or on Audible. But uh, there's the Kindle version. There's the hard copy. And then uh, as an audiobook as well. Yep. Excellent. Now, this coming out later in life. Um, as a lesbian is, you know, you've talked a couple of times about how uh, you've talked to other women about similar experiences and, and how there's sort of a quite the gambit of how that has kind of happened. I believe you're, you're working on a book or gathering those stories into a, into a single place. What's, what's happening? Yes. There? So I'm putting together a book proposal now. Um, I, I, the way I see it is, I wanted to be, I wanted to hit a lot of the topics that women deal with when they're coming out or even in the process of thinking of maybe coming out. But because there are a lot of things that are new and that you don't kind of realize that, that some concerns and some worries and some fears. Um, and so I want to hit on that. And I also, because I, because it's not just my experience isn't universal, I'm going to have insight um, from other women who want to contribute just some just some of their experiences about that but I mean there's it'll be I see it as kind of a um a guidebook a little Mm. handbook and it'll be it'll be fun some tongue-in-cheek stuff but I want to hit the the core issues but in a really fun light way that uh that can kind of help people and I also want to bridge the gap between the latecomers and the women who've been out for a while, because there, there's a lot of misconceptions there about how supportive or unsupportive. And I've ha- only had support, but I know that there are some misconceptions around that with the community. And so I want to alleviate some fears uh, mm-hmm. around that as well. So that's that's my goal. So that's what I'm so and if anyone's listening and they want to contribute, they can contact me as well. And, and how is the best way for people to reach you? Probably. I mean, social media is so easy. I mean, it's just my name, Marcy Warhaft on Instagram. I'm there and Facebook. And that's probably the easiest. The so easiest it's M A R C I W A R H A F T. So just think it, make sure they've got the C I in your name. Otherwise mm-hmm. they may not find you. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Go and check it out. And uh, we'll have your name spelt out in, uh, in the description. Uh, if you listen <laughs> to this as a podcast, um, so that you can also get involved. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to to share your experience with me. I think it's been uh, a great conversation, but also really enlightening about these different broad, it touches on so many of these broader conversations, which the gay community often has with itself um, that we don't always touch on in this show. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice relief to, to have this conversation. Great conversation. I'm so, so glad and an honor to have been able to chat with you. Awesome. All right. We'll be back with Sebastian just after this. My voice, it soars, but will I speak up? My eyes do see, but will I look? These boots do walk, but will they show up? Gotta give up my people-pleasing way, shed the lies of yesterday. Yeah, these hands are 
home of Canada's queer media. My name is Nick Smith. I'm Sebastian. That was Unstoppable by Amy Bishop. You may have caught Amy Bishop on the launch on CTV. Now, we only have a little bit of time to cover some of the other news. We have been talking about the Holton Catholic District School Board um, for a little while. I think this is the one that made that hideous Crayola travesty of an alternative flag. Oh, yeah. Remember that one? Yeah, they made their own flag. I had very strong opinions on it. Yeah. Um, anyway, they have been umming and ahhing about raising a pride flag. And uh, last year, they decided against raising a pride flag during pride, even though many of the other Catholic school boards in the Toronto area have raised the flag. Mm. Well, on uh, a recent meeting, the Halton Catholic District School Board's trustees voted and will now be carrying or flying the pride flag outside all board schools and the Catholic Education Centre every year in the month of June during Pride Month. So this is a a, a great U-turn for the uh, Halton Catholic School Board. But they're doing it during normal Pride, not during school Pride. Because schools normally do their Pride in February so that the students can witness it and participate. Whereas if you're doing it in June, it's basically saying... We'll put your piece of fabric on the pole, but then in February, nothing. Well, 
who knows what they're doing in February. That wasn't in the <laughs> announcement, so we'll have to follow up and find out. Um, if you are in Victoria, we are, of course, broadcast in Victoria and amongst many other places. But if you're in Victoria, BC, the Maritime Museum of British Columbia um, has uh, put the feelers out. Mm. They are working on a Queer at Sea exhibition that will be run from May 17th <coughs> to November the 5th. And essentially bringing the story of gay maritime workers into the light. Because it is astonishing that so much history of like sea travel has completely omitted any kind of homosexual behavior. Oh, it has not. People have uh, painted over it. but uh, And also just my brain was giggling because you said putting out feelers. And then you talked about gays at sea. And I was just thinking about tentacle stuff. But anyway. Okay. Um, uh, the, the, the Matelotage, the, the same-sex partnerships that uh, Buccaneers had, that, that's a known thing. And, you know, the, the, the fact that San Francisco is gay because of the American Navy during World War II, that's a known thing. Like, there's a lot of, of gay maritime stuff, you know, that um, the any port in a storm, that is a, that is a Navy expression. So, I mean, there's, I think it's one of those things that it's the difference between, like, does the Navy acknowledge it or is this just, like people giggling about it in the shadows well the uh, victoria museum the maritime museum said they were inspired by the hello sailor exhibit uh, <laughs> at the halifax maritime museum of the atlantic yep. uh, which was held in 2011 so if you're in victoria go and check it out and reach out if you are a gay sailor and want to maybe share some uh, perspective with the museum we have run out of time today uh, which is unfortunate but that's where we land. We're playing out with The Space in Between by Amanda Room. I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. I'm just trying to find my place Trying to find some empty space Where I'm comfortable enough to say The things I need to say Wanting all my words so perfect Trying to translate poetry When I get tangled in expectations I lose what makes me me Dream.